0: This is Matt, and this is Tony, and this is what did we miss—the podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots, one episode at a time. <laughs> you're such an ass. You can't resist doing that. Yeah, you're just like you're just like super compelled to just like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's funny though.
1: I I don't think there's anything Freud would have to say about it.
0: No, and I'm going to leave this in, and, and uh, we're not going to mention what it is. Okay, how are you Great. doing? I'm good. How are you, Matt? Uh, yeah, things are, things are all right. Things are all right.
1: <laughs> when someone asks you how you're doing, and the answer is yeah, that's a pretty good sign as to how things are actually <laughs> going.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we've had this conversation on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, you, you know, I, like, I, as I've stated, I've, like, I already, So I looked at my letterbox cause, and I haven't checked my, my total for the year yet. And I'm already at like a little over 400 movies watched this year. So I know this is going to be a record breaking year for the number of movies watched. And so the total is like 520 uh, in a year. So and I'm pretty sure I'm going to I'm going to surpass that this year because I'm already at 400 and we still got three months to go. So I'm averaging like roughly 10 movies a week.
1: Hey, who says 2020 has been a disaster?
0: (laughs) Part of the thing is, is like, because I'm not sleeping super well, is, like, I start a movie at, like, 9, I finish that at, like, 11, and I start a new movie, and then I keep going until, like, and I'm just not sleeping. So that's why I'm probably getting in a few more extra this year. So
1: Yeah, I think uh, I've probably watched fewer than 10 new movies. (laughs) Yeah, this year uh, I think for the most part it's just been a lot of comfort watching. Um, That's cool as we've though. Talked about before. Yeah, I mean, I just until recently we have not. So our son started sleeping about eleven hours a night within the last month. This is late September. Uh so I didn't really have any like capacity for like really watching new things. Um, so yeah, it's been mostly like yeah comfort movies and. Simpsons reruns. Uh and for a while I was like up until you, you know, about midnight I was staying up and then from there it was every three hours we were feeding them. Sleeping if I could in between. Um so yeah, just whatever kind of brain candy I could put on to stay awake and stay distracted.
0: Like the movie but, Brain Candy?
1: I wish. It's a tough one. That's uh that's one like freaked where it's kinda tough to come by. Yeah, it's hard the, to find. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, I think the kids in the hall are doing a new sketch show with Amazon. Mm-hmm. So it'd be nice if maybe, you know, the, the old show and that I never saw the special they did about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I Death didn't either. it Comes to Town. So if those and Brain Candy showed up on Prime, that'd be nice. There's a third voice lurking in the background that's popped up a couple of times. So we'll introduce our guest today. We have, uh lifelong friend and designer of the show's logo brian kaminsky yep
0: yep how's it going
1: uh good man i think lifelong is at this point you and i have known each other longer than we haven't so i think that's appropriate
0: yeah it counts for sure so i what, what would we say seventh grade maybe seventh or eighth maybe
1: yeah it probably was well, we were obviously aware
0: of each other before we were actually friends
1: that's true. Our reputations preceded ourselves.
0: Were, were, were you like like heated rivals that ended up teaming up to like vanquish a greater foe? No. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Bummer. We gained Bummer. those foes after we had teamed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: If anything, the, that greater foe was like uh, you know, 14 uh, year old ennui.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Which just changes to like each, you know, Each new decade, it's the 20-year ennui and the 30-year ennui, right? Yeah, it's true. It's like, yeah, different flavors of ennui. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's like a depressing (laughs) Baskin-Robbins. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Wait, how many more of these do we have? (laughs) 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 Oh, God,
1: yeah. (laughs) 31, because the three and the one make...
0: Oh, the B, right?
1: ...part of the logo, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway
0: yeah, I think you're the designer here.
1: <laughs> oh no, I probably just saw one of those like clickbaity You'll never look at these logos the
0: same again. Yeah, right. Like the, the FedEx yeah. arrow is a big one. The Tostitos guys. What's the Tostitos guys? It's the T tea, the T's are two uh-huh. people like holding a chip over a bowl of salsa. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking that there you up. go. <laughs> Which is a great segue into today's topic chips. (laughs) Doritos. Today we're talking about Cool Ranch Doritos.
1: Yeah, Eric Estrada couldn't make it.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I loved that show when I was a kid. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever noticed that before. Yeah, right? It's like surprisingly involved. It really is. (laughs) Wow. I feel. Tony, have you seen this?
1: Uh, I have not. Uh, I guess I'll look it up.
0: <laughs> is this is just going to be like an hour and a half of us looking stuff up.
1: <laughs> you, you see type, this type, thing? Type, type, type. <laughs> oh, wow. And the eye, the, the eye over, the dot over the eye is a little thing of salsa. Look at that.
0: That's what it was. Yeah. hmm Now
1: you know. Now we know. Brian, how the hell are you, man? Uh, I was saying before, this is the first time I've seen you in quite a while
0: <laughs> i know it's true uh yeah outside we've had like a couple of zoom calls with our friends and all their offspring but that's about it
1: yeah some uh extended uh gripe sessions about uh modern game design and uh super mario <laughs> through through the ages
0: yeah through uh yeah through gchat definitely got yeah. pretty in depth on that one <laughs> I haven't picked that up since we talked about it.
1: The 3D All-Stars? Yeah. Yeah.
0: But that's more because I'm... I've been busy. And I'm still hopelessly addicted to Animal Crossing, to an embarrassing degree. <laughs> are, are you pumped for the uh, Halloween update, where you get to dress up and, and have pumpkins? No, I actually don't care about any of the, like, event stuff at all. Gotcha. I just, like, make shit. <laughs> Uh, so I, I have I've never played it, but Meg plays it. My wife plays it right next to me. Uh, usually when I'm watching movies or reading, <laughs> uh, and she's obsessed with it too. But she she's also into the design aspect of it, and she's always telling me she, when she visits other people's islands, she, she'll she'll pop in and be like, you know what? They're not good at designing islands. Their islands <laughs> are ugly. Like there's no symmetry. Yeah. There's no balance. Uh, oh but God. she's also excited about the event stuff. Oh, she is. Yeah. yeah, I've seen some online, and it's, like, it's so funny because uh, people make jokes about how, like, Tom Nook is, like, the embodiment of capitalism. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're just, like, trying to get, like, pay off your loan and buy as much crap as you can. And, yeah, you look at these islands people make, and they basically just, like, pave the entire island. They, like, cut down every single tree. They, like, make these malls. It's, like, wow, yeah, it's actually not that far off. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, meg's meg got in trouble before she had a five-star rating it got bumped down a bit to like four and then when she went to find out why she had the four-star rating i guess tom nook was just like hey man you have too many flowers it's just too many flowers (laughs) and she's like what it's beautiful she's enraged enraged Mm -hmm. yeah ignore the ratings too i mean my (laughs) My my island is kind of a disaster. I won't <laughs> lie. It's just <laughs> crap everywhere. <laughs> I'll have to get your friend code so she can go judge it.
1: <laughs> that doesn't seem... That seems on brand. Like, it's a mess and you're like, I know where all this shit's gonna go eventually.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's Like, I'll just dump all this crap here and I'll uh, organize it later. Because that's another thing, is that they purposely make it, like, difficult to rearrange everything. Like, you only have so many slots everything takes up a slot you're always like having to unload shit it's like you're like oh i have to to move this tree i have to eat an apple and then i get the power to move the tree and then you accidentally put it in the wrong spot so you have to eat another apple to gain the it's just like endless (laughs) and i know i know i'm really selling the game too
1: (laughs) hey you've not made me a convert
0: I've never heard anyone talk about this game without the context of it being, like, really frustrating. Oh, it's a total grind. Yeah. But, yeah, like you uh, you said, uh, I stopped playing for a while, and then uh, my girlfriend Tara's brother also plays it. So she's like, ooh, I want to see Mark's Island. So we visited his island, and I was like, man, I got to get to work. I was like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I, I, I don't know, we're talking about video games. We just did an episode on eSports. I feel like we need to like, like put this in the eSports episode.
1: <laughs> I did just listen to the eSports episode, which was a lot of fun. Um, but you talked about Super Smash Brothers in it. And um, my my favorite like Smash Brothers story to tell is, uh, so when Brian and I were younger, we played a lot of smash brothers. I think it's safe to say, um, uh, I was never like remotely close to like competitively good. Brian was like the best of us, but then we had a a third friend, Dan, who was like, who would never win. He was
0: more of a passive, like video game player, competitive nonetheless.
1: Right. So there was one time where, and I don't know if we were playing like a timed match or like, you know, you have so many guys before you lose. Um, but it became clear that Dan was going to win. And in like the last second before he would have like officially won the match, I like leapt across the room and hit the reset button, which is such a shitty thing to do.
0: Dude, you you (laughs) announced it. You got, you go, Nope. (laughs) And you just hit the button. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It just, it was not allowed to happen. Couldn't happen. Um,
0: he was appropriately mad.
1: Sure, I think so. His
0: only win. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been. <laughs>
1: now it's just one of like countless losses, but there's an asterisk next to one of them. I'm going to use this as a real like busted-ass segue into what we're talking about. <laughs> um, so we're talking about Halloween, the original Halloween directed by John Carpenter, which um, Matt and I have seen, but Brian hasn't.
0: Which struck me? I thought Rob Zombie directed this movie. <laughs> did, you, did you watch the wrong one? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> that would be amazing.
1: I do remember I you. Wish di- I thought of that before. <laughs> I do remember you distinctly one time. We were talking about the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, and you're like, "I have no interest in seeing that."
0: In the Rob Zombie one, or yeah, yeah. I've never seen any of his movies actually. Um, Interesting.
1: Well, I mentioned this in. Tandem to the Smash Brothers because I feel like you and I sort of like got turned on to movies at around the same time. I feel like we were sort of discovering a lot of independent film and a lot of cult and horror stuff, and um, like all like our group of friends so like you know a bunch of us would show up with like a stack of movies from the video store or whatever, and we would just wa- I'll watch Evil Dead for the first time and kind of have our minds blown, and the and then the thing was a big one too, so that you. You know, I I sort of felt like maybe I fucked up somewhere because I knew that we both have seen and loved the thing, but that you didn't see Halloween. So is there any reason why you had missed it up to this point?
0: Um, yeah, I, I would say I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to say is that, that I've been avoiding it, but I've never been that interested in seeing it. The only interest I had in seeing it was because it is a John Carpenter movie. But I had this, like, I kind of had this fear of sorts that it was just going to be, like, some by the number slasher. And I don't, as much as I like horror movies, I re- don't like slashers, really. They're usually boring. Yeah, I was just going to ask, are you a big horror fan or a kind of casual horror fan? or? I'm always asking myself if I'm even a horror fan at all. But <laughs> <Like, laughs> there's so many horror movies that I r- really like. That, like, yeah, I'm a horror fan. It just depends on, like, the flavor of horror movie. Like, I don't really like, like, ghost horror movies. Like, The Conjuring, for example, when that came out, people loved that movie. And I just could not be more bored by that. It's like, oh, what was that sound? It's like, I don't know, the ghost? <laughs> Something in the walls? <laughs> I, I mean, I think, going back to the slasher thing, I think... After Halloween, there was obviously a glut of slasher movies. So I think what defines slasher movies are probably things that are mostly terrible, unfortunately. Um, So like when I think of slasher movies, I think of obviously Halloween, but I also think of Psycho. And I think of Black Christmas and Peeping Tom uh, or Bay of Blood, which are all predate Halloween and probably inspired Halloween. Yeah. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and those things are all so much weirder and gnarlier and, uh, feel a lot more personal than probably the things that, that followed Halloween in the eighties with, you know, Friday the 13th. And, and, you know, there is something like road games, which is not road games, um, or the first prom night with Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, they're all just kind of derivative cause they were trying to, to, to make the same amount of money that, that Halloween made. Yeah, full disclosure on this one. Tony had asked me if I wanted to do this podcast on Halloween, and I had actually just watched it like the week before he asked. Oh, awesome. So I was like, am I disqualified? Because I technically saw it. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason that I did finally go to watch it is because I watched Friday the 13th, and I had never seen it. And did not really like it. The the original. It's terrible. It's awful, yeah. Yeah, there's actually (laughs) elements of it that I liked. Like I even though all the exposition is at the end, I like that it was at least like this fucking batshit explanation (laughs) where it's like (laughs) her dead son, who's 30, but still a kid talks to her and tries to get her to take revenge out on people who didn't even do this to him.
1: Yeah, it's kind of insane.
0: It's pretty bonkers. Yeah, but I watched Halloween because I had no idea that. Friday the 13th was basically a cash in on like Halloween success. They just had the, the producers had the name and they wanted to make money and, and they made it quickly and cheaply. And, and it did make a decent amount of money and it obviously spawned a lot of sequels and now has this quote unquote beloved horror figure. (laughs) Um, I, so, so, so Tony, uh, before we get into the movie itself, I wanted to know like, you know, what's your history with, with Halloween in general?
1: Um, yeah, I saw this maybe when I was like thirteen. Um, my aunt was up visiting from Florida, and I don't remember. I don't remember why we were talking about it, but I, her and my mom were discussing seeing it at the movies when they were in high school, or my mom may have been just out of high school, and just how terrified they were. And um, I was like, "Oh, that sounds great. Let's rent it." And then we did. So I, I watched it with my mom and my aunt. Um, and I, I remember it just, you know, really scaring the shit out of me, which I wasn't expecting. Um, I think even then I was like, oh, it's going to be old and cheesy. And you know, what, is, what do my mom and my aunt know? They're probably, you know, they're just, they're just a couple of chickens and it can't be that bad. Um, and you know, that night it was that bad. Um, and it's sort of been a, I don't want to say perennial favorite just cause I don't know that I've revisited it as much as. Um, like The Thing or, you know, some other horror movies. Um, But yeah, it's always sort of been in the back of my mind as a favorite. And, you know, on this most recent watch, I don't know if I would necessarily say that. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah, this kind of fits in with some other movies that I think are, for me, like I just have to kind of be in the right mood for and maybe um, watching it or rewatching it in preparation for this, I wasn't in that mood. Um, we can talk a little bit about it more when we get into it. Um, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not by any means saying this is uh, a bad movie. Matt was kind of giving me shit when he saw that. I only gave it four <laughs> stars on Letterboxd versus his four and a half. <laughs>
0: um, that point .5, it makes all the difference.
1: <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I mean it, it's it is great. Um, but I think some of the um, you know parts of it that maybe haven't aged as well, um, I, I felt were a little more prominent this this most recent watch. Matt, what about you? What is your story here?
0: Um, you know, when I was really young, because I'm a little older than both of you, and I was kind of you know the prime age for this slasher movie. But, so uh, and I remember being in elementary school, and it was kind of like, who's your guy? Who's your guy? Is it Michael Myers? Is it Freddy Krueger? Or is it Jason Voorhees? Uh, and I think this is the time when I started watching these movies because when I was really young, I was like super terrified of this shit, um, and I started. You know, I'd stay over at a friends' house, and they'd have like HBO or some shit like that, and and obviously when you're like 12 or 13 years old. The Friday the Thirteenth movies are appealing because there's so much gore and nudity, uh, and the the Nightmare on Elm Street movies were appealing because, you know, they were they were bigger and bolder, and 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 visually had a completely different language with the whole dream world shit, um, and they became you know complete comedies by the end of those series. I think I had always preferred Freddy because I was like, oh, I I preferred like the weird sort of mystical. Magic monster stuff as opposed to just like some guy with a knife. He's also much more charismatic Sure. Yeah way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean he's the only one of the three who really talks so So I had never really seen any of the Halloween movies when I was a kid Uh, It was only I think I finally when I started like kind of filling in a lot of blind spots and really had fallen hard for John Carpenter uh, with like similar to you, both of you, with the thing, uh, I went back and I was like, uh, in my probably early to mid twenties, uh, was when I finally saw Halloween, and I was like, oh shit, this is not what I thought it was, um, and it appealed to my sensibilities uh, as an adult more than I think uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies do, uh, and then sort of by accident, it has become like a perennial uh, watch for me. Uh, and I say by accident because I don't always intend to watch it. But for some reason, I kind of get roped into watching it. Whether it's like a group of people saying like, oh, we should watch Halloween. Or, oh, uh, I just bought the Blu-ray version. Okay, I, I should watch it around Halloween. Oh, the 4K version came out. I got to watch it this year. Oh, the new version, the the 2018 sequel is coming out. I got to watch the, the first one before I go to see it kind of thing. So... I think subsequently, I've probably watched, like, logged it, like, I don't know how many times. Um, it, is, it has become a favorite, uh, and every time I watch it, I'm just, I'm in awe of its craft more than anything. And uh, because, uh, you know, as John Carpenter has stated, you know, there were a bunch a bunch of kids just making a movie. And I think you can see that, but also it still feels masterful. And I don't know how That balance exists. And I think that's very rare to see something that feels so a bunch, like a small group of people with no money making something and making it this formally precise. It's such a rare thing. And that's what excites me about it. And watching it as an adult, I have it so memorized that it isn't really about being scary. It's just about that construction of of the scares that excites me so much now. Uh, And really picking up on uh, almost like deconstructing it, of like, oh, okay, so the camera moves this way to do this, and then the camera stays back this way to do this kind of thing. And that's, I don't know, I love that. I, I'm, it just excites me, and I watched it this morning um, with the commentary track on, and it is just like felt like, I don't know, film school in some ways. Uh, and and so, more than likely, I ended up watching it next year because I'm pretty sure they moved Halloween Kills to next year, and I want to watch watch it again before i go see it then (laughs) was that supposed to come out this year it was supposed to be this year and they pushed it yeah oh wow that's such a horror movie thing too like even part of like horror fandom is just like keeping you on the hook all the time with new releases and versions and cuts like that (laughs) like how many copy like how many versions of evil dead are there all of them all three of them have like so many different cuts it's insane i i I haven't bought a few of them primarily because I know that they're just going to keep coming out. Yeah, right. Dawn of the Dead's another big one. Uh, the original, actually, there is no Blu-ray, uh, and it's supposed to be coming out this year, which I'm super, super excited for. Because if you want to find the original Blu-ray of it, you're spending like hundreds of dollars. Yeah, that like four-disc DVD set's still like the one to have, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's hard to find. Yeah. Right. So I'm yeah. excited for the new one because it's got a new restoration and all that stuff. And that's so, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that one's surprisingly hard to find anywhere, too. Like, even streaming somewhere. Yeah, it's not streaming anywhere, because I think, like, whoever has the rights to it is kind of an asshole, so... <laughs> yeah, between that
1: and a lot of kind of low-budget stuff in the 80s being made by companies that no longer exist and have been absorbed several times by other larger companies, stuff kind of gets lost in the cracks.
0: I think the thing with thought Halloween, too, is... Now, having seen a lot of the things that were inspired by it, um, they seem to have taken the wrong lessons from Halloween because Halloween is, Halloween is intentionally slow. Um, and it's all about kind of building tension for the, the majority of the running time. Like the first kill, other than the opening sequence, doesn't happen until 54 minutes in. Uh, and, and there really is only, you know, two other kills after that one. Uh, and a lot of it is about how long could we sustain this for, but all the movies that came, uh, that were inspired by it and, 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 and kind of flooded the market in the 80s are the exact opposite. It's like, we need more gore, we need more blood, we need more boobs. And- Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so it's interesting to always go back to this and realize that this is not, not that
1: Right. And I think, you know, for for better or worse, I think that might be kind of what tripped me up this time is that that deliberate slowness of it, uh, because I think early on there are parts where, you know, there's that great long take of Laurie as she's walking down the sidewalk and she starts singing to herself. And then Michael, like slowly just kind of like creeps in a frame and you just, you know, and you're just sitting there watching him stare at her. Um, and stuff like that is great, but you know, then there's like a, a middle chunk of 20 minutes where it just feels like it's, it's so slow. Um, again, on this rewatch that kind of stuck with me. Um, but, uh, none of that really takes away from, you know, once the, the payoff starts, it, it's, it's, it's super
0: fun. Uh, so let's just rip the bandaid off. Brian, did you like it? uh not really (laughs) it kind of confirmed those fears that i had been holding on to for a long time uh and you know i really want uh, no bias because like i love john carpenter's movies like i'm really into them so i was if anything i was like ready to really enjoy this and it's just not yeah just it's not my i don't think it's my flavor of horror Because like I was saying, I do like horror a lot, but it has to be kind of has to like strike the specific nerve, which I feel like I'm always trying to figure out myself what it is I like.
1: Uh, Well, can you can you think of some recent stuff that you have that you were really into?
0: Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. Thank you, Tony. (laughs) 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 For pointing me in the direction of that. It's so I love that movie so much. I watched it like twice the same week. And yeah, because it takes everything. It just like goes to the logical extreme with everything about that movie. Like it's gross, it's grimy, like it's it's like it's funny, it's tense, like it has all that stuff. It plays like a comedy. It really does. It, yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, it has like the weird sexual vibe to it. <laughs> yeah, it's all really this strange. stuff that I find that stuff more disturbing than, like, uh, a stalker with a knife. Because a lot of people... I, I feel like I can't really buy in a lot of the time for something like that. Like, people... Yeah, like, you're, like you were t- talking about your mom watching Halloween when it came out. And there are people who are like, I can't watch horror movies because they're terrifying. And I don't understand how you can be scared of, like, a movie like that. <laughs> Just because, I, I don't know, like, I just know, it's like, oh, it's a movie, like... <laughs> I, I I think oftentimes when the general audience says that they're scared of something, what they're talking about is that roller coaster effect of like, oh, we're going down the hill now, and something's going to pop out, and their heart's going to jump. Like, they don't know yeah, what's problem. behind the corner thing. I don't think it's necessarily they're leaving, and they're, they're like, oh my god, I'm going to get possessed by the devil, although I'm sure some people think... Think I was going to say, there's got to be people like that, though, right? <laughs> sure, but I would say the vast majority, because like I, I feel like you hear this more with modern movies than with older movies. You know, People grow up with certain horror movies, and it scares the shit out of them, and they yeah. define all horror movies based off of the things they saw when they were young, and that scared them. That's and so true. like, you'll feel, feel that. I hear a lot of people say, like, oh, well, yeah, this movie wasn't scary. And, I, and Tony and I have talked about this, and I don't think that's always the point. You know, no, like, I, I think, agree. Like, I agree. I think like if you're basing it, if you're basing your reaction off of a movie about how tough you are in, uh, <laughs> you know, in like, oh, well this movie didn't scare me, therefore it is a bad movie. Then I think you're missing sort of the point of what the movie is. And I'm not saying that's that's what you did. I think we kind of right. segued into that. You know, to me, what's not necessarily scary, but the, the ideas that I love about H- Halloween is that there is no explanation? He's just some dude. He's just some guy that's shown up, and he's like, "I'm going to kill these people." I right. don't know why. Uh, and at the ending, it, you know, that's what she says. You know, um, it was the boogeyman, and then um, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Loomis. Loomis. Uh, yeah, Loomis says, as a matter of fact, it was. And that's and then he's not there. And that's not meant to set up a sequel whatsoever. It's just this open-ended thing of like this unexplainable death that's coming for you that's one of the things i had a problem with with this movie and i suspected that that would be the answer is that i did he had like there's no motive seems to be no motivation for michael myers at all and yeah i yeah like so he's what going back to kill everyone that's in the vicinity of his old house <laughs> yeah i just he's just a, he's a murderer and, yeah. and, like, yeah. and and like and John Carpenter always said that he's evil personified and evil doesn't always have an explanation. Uh, and those type of horror movies appeal to me greatly because, I mean, that sort of theme is something that I th- we talk about a lot on the show. That unexplainable thing is part of what makes it great because that's so much of our lives. And I get like a lot of people don't like that in their art because too much of their real life is that we are living that right now. Uh, And so people don't want to be confronted by that. They want nice explanations. Uh, I'm always been the opposite. And I don't, the more you explain oftentimes the less interested I am, especially when it gets into like mechanics and details and especially for horror or something like that. Not to say that that can't work that not to say that that can't work, but that's what appeals to me about Halloween in general.
1: Yeah, and I think why the sequels are so disappointing is because they start to pile on, like a, a you know an increasingly chaotic and overly complicated mythology. Or like in the second one, it turns out that him and Laurie are brother and sister, uh, and then. Uh, he comes back and he's looking for I think Laurie's kid and then Laurie's kid has a psychic connection to him and then in the sixth one they made in the nineties like druids bring him back.
0: There's <laughs> like a whole there's a whole cult and mythology around Michael Myers. It's really ridiculous.
1: Right, and I think that you know, and it's not surprising that Brian, you point to something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, which like you know the the villains in it are you know for lack of a better word charismatic and there are like personalities and quirks you can kind of hang your hat on. Whereas like Michael's a blank slate. And I think, you know, he's, I wonder how often when people say they love Halloween and they're talking about this first one, they mean, you know, like in the same way people are like, Oh, I love Freddie or I love Jason. Like who loves Michael Myers? Because, you know, there's not much, he's the threat in this movie, but he's not, you know, necessarily what makes the movie work. It's that tension. And that's, you know not just in in his quiet but like in the long drawn out takes of people just walking away from him or you know like a lot of it is a lot of that simmering threat is not the killer but the camera
0: michael myers that idea that he's michael myers wasn't really introduced until the sequel much like friday the 13th he's called the shape in the original movie like you know he's Michael from the opening scene where he's a little kid and he murders his sister. After that, like they don't refer to him by anything necessarily. Loomis does um, occasionally, but he's credited in uh, you know in the closing credits as the shape um, because they didn't, oh, I didn't they that. didn't want him to be identified by Michael Myers. They wanted it to be you know again the boogeyman, and they had no intentions of making a sequel whatsoever, and even. Um, once the idea for Carpenter to do a sequel came up, he was like, there's no need for me to do this. Um, And he only got roped in eventually because he wanted the money because he felt that he wasn't paid enough for the first one uh, after it had been so successful. So he kind of like hunkered down and wrote it in like, I don't know, a few weeks time. And he said like the whole time he would just like drink a six pack of beer while writing it. And subsequently he doesn't like it. He's just like, oh yeah, it's terrible. Did he direct it? No, no, but he he once he saw the first cut, he was really disappointed, so he started he re-edited it himself, he did the score, and then I think he went back and he actually added some scenes which made it more violent and bloody, uh you know, which is kind of goes against what the first movie was, but I think he thought that the new version was wasn't exciting, but he has said that he doesn't really particularly like it, but you may like the second one more because the second one is. Essentially, a little, uh, a little leans a little more into like the blood and guts and the horror kind of aspect of a lot of the movies at the time, and it gives you an explanation. (laughs) I definitely like excess in my horror movies, which is like a that's definitely a running thread with a lot of my favorite ones. I mean, we saw Evil Dead Two and Evil Dead One when we were in high school, and that just kind of like set the tone because it was also around the same time like Shaun of the Dead came out. That we are getting into these and right. so i have always kind of like the horror comedy has kind of always been the thing that i prefer sure R-
1: right because i mean it's kind of, so a lot of them take themselves way too seriously and that that can be off-putting so when you get something like dead alive which is just like you know gleefully manic and you know pusk shooting into people's soup and you know mo- literally mowing through a uh, a foyer full of zombies, like that shit's great. Uh, but then you know, it's it is sort of a, a bit of whiplash to go to something like Halloween, where it's yeah, 50 minutes before the the killing starts.
0: I but I, I, that's what I love about the genre in general is that it can do all those things, uh, and like I, I love those movies too. I love Dead Alive and Evil Dead 2. and uh, you know that used to be uh, like a nearly weekly. Viewing for us was Evil Dead 2 and, and Army of Darkness, uh, and I was obsessed with those. And that probably helped segue me into a little more sor- serious horror fare as I was getting older. I love the minimalism of this one, and um, I just love the mood of it, because I do think that it sustains a mood and attention for the majority of its running time. And I think that's so rare, because I do think modern horror movies, especially big budget ones... uh. They're always kind of going more for like the gore and the cheap scares. Um uh and and, and I don't know, I think there's something refreshing about this. I, and and when you see a modern movie try to do this, like um um oh, what the hell is the name of that movie? I can't remember even the director's name. The devil, um, not where's Prada, don't say it. Um th- they're <laughs> the, really the, slow. The house burn. of the Devil? House of the Devil, yes. So when you see a modern movie like The House of the Devil come, which is super slow as well, it just sticks out like a sore thumb because no one's really doing that anymore. Yeah, that's true. The, wi- I, the Witch is pretty slow. Yeah. Oh, I love The Witch too. I, I do love The Witch. That's one of my favorite movies I've seen like in the past decade because I really like the ideas behind that one. Sure. Like, that's a, that that's movie, a very different I movie. Thought, works on like, two different levels where like, there's the level where didn't exist and is manipulating you and there's the other level where even if he doesn't it's about like your family like turning against you and like losing trust in one another I I, yeah that's a good example of like a a not uh, cartoonish grotesque horror movie that I really like (laughs) I said that I didn't like Halloween and really it's more accurate to say I didn't love it because I did it is really well done like I love the opening scene the opening scene is so good when he's like stalking his sister and like i like the characters too like aside from michael myers like her friends are are great and it's like almost a shame they get killed because you know usually those a lot of time those characters are played off as like annoying assholes and they're just like trying to get their friend laid (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah, they have a lot more personality than the usual like cannon fodder gets in these types of movies. Um, and I was sort of taken this time around by how dangerous Loomis is. Like Loomis is, by all counts, kind of crazy. <laughs> the, oh yeah, the fact that a the, the the fact that a doctor would believe, oh no, he's evil incarnate is such a batshit premise, and like. You know, there's you can almost see a, m- a version of this where like he goes crazy at the end or something. Um, but like, there's a scene where the the three kids are like young kids are like daring one another to go up to the house. And instead of him just being like an authoritative adult and being like, "Hey, you guys can't be here. You got to get out of here. That's dangerous." He's like, "I'm gonna get you." He like makes a weird voice from behind the bush. Um, <laughs> I uh, I don't remember him being this kind of like. You know, it's it almost like he's always got one eye kind of twitching like he's just on his last nerve. Uh, and I'd kind of forgotten that, um, you know, I remember the the end when he shows up and, you know, blasts Mike Myers out of the window with the gun, which, again, is a, a weird, a weird prescription for a doctor to fill out.
0: Well, yeah, he pulls a gun out like in panic and the cops like <laughs> he's like looking at him. He's like, oh, I have a permit for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is which,
1: which is so funny too, because that cop is like, like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> and the permit's like all kind of like crumpled up, like it's just been in his pants, and he's washed it a few times. He
0: is good because the first scene with him where he's driving with the nurse, he like refer he re- refers to Mike Myers as it, and she's like, can't we at least call him him? And he's basically like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, fine, whatever, just.
0: Well, isn't the idea that he, like, ever since Michael killed his sister when he was young, uh, Loomis has been studying him, and he's just like, nope, there's no explanation for this. He's just evil. And that's why he's kind of terrified of 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 the idea of him escaping. Uh, Donald Pleasant's, um, you know, because this is super low-budget movie, it's like $300,000 to make this movie. Really, really small, limited crew. And they knew if they got like this kind of seasoned veteran actor I and mean, that could kind of give a little weight and i think you know he really makes a meal out of some expositional ridiculous kind of b movie dialogue and i think without him it probably wouldn't work at all um but i guess you know john connorer said that Pleasance really didn't know like he he didn't understand the script he didn't he didn't get it um, but he decided to do the movie because his daughter was in a band and she loved the soundtrack to Assault on Precinct Thirteen, and uh, was just like, "Oh, this is amazing, Dad! You have to work with this guy because Carpenter does all of his own music." I actually saw him do a show of all his music with his son. I did too. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. It's, am- it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's so
1: amazing that even back then there were like nerds in bands who are like John Carpenter, man.
0: Well, I mean, the music, a lot of this music now has been repurposed and it's popped up in tons of other movies, but it's also like really popular uh, in the electronic dance scene where it's been remixed by a lot of Italian producers and and French producers. Uh, And in horror movies now, every time you you hear a new modern horror movie, it all has this kind of same... Style of synthesizers used these early kind of modular synthesizers. I think sometimes that they kind of lack what He brings to these movies and it's partly because he's like run and gun and because he did it in like two weeks time Because they had no money no budget. He's like well, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this I know how to do it and they had like one synthesizer to use and he figured it out and he did it super super quickly same with the salt on precinct 13 so I think sometimes it's just like born out of necessity. Like he's just like, you know, feet to the fire and like, oh shit, like I got to do this. And like there's a minimalism to the music, but he kind of only uses it when he absolutely needs to use it. And it obviously has like that crazy time signature. It's like a it's like a 5-4 time signature, which isn't a natural time signature. Um, most pop songs are 4-4, four, four, where, you know, the beat is counted uh, on the fours and this is Five four so it's like one two three four five one so it's always like that one is always kind of abrupt and it sounds kind of stabby um i think it's probably one of the greatest horror themes ever ever made um yeah i, I it's just it's 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 so fantastic
1: yeah i mean it's just as memorable as the mask is you know what i mean the i mean his mask not <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, jim I mean, carrey movie will
0: never forget the mask <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that like that simplicity, you know, like the movie, like that simplicity is what makes it so chilling. It's you know, it se- it seems, you know, for lack of a better word, obvious. Um, but then, like, you know, just in that opening sequence too with the pumpkin and it just sets a mood. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's I think the, the highlight in terms of like the body count was, you know, when he pins that one guy to the wall with the knife, and it's just so. Like, but I mean, that's a point where like the music cuts out and it's just so quiet. And the way he kind of like, you know, moves his head like an animal as he's staring at this dude pinned up a few feet from the floor. Um, yeah, the, the music, you know, the music, I feel like works in the same way that the Jaws theme works. It kind of, it kind of becomes its own character and this sort of harbinger of, of the, the shit that's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Um you just reminded me saying how he like looked at, looked at the kill like an animal. I do like that at the end, Jamie Lee Curtis like rips his mask off and you actually see his face and then he just pulls it back on. And I think that's a good moment because it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter who he is. It's not like his identity, like is going to change anything. (laughs) That grace note though, of him tilting his head, kind of looking at like, like it's some modern art piece. Uh, it's so great. That's not something you see too often uh, in, in these type of movies. Yeah. and you, So in the beginning, you guys said you saw this like pretty young, right?
1: Yeah. I was I relatively was 12 or 13. Yeah. I
0: mean, I'm sure I think that has like a lot to do with it, too. Like it's I, I've seen it so late and I've seen so many other movies that it's kind of like I even though I know Halloween is the movie that set a lot of these standards. To me, I've, I've kind of already seen them all so many times. So it's difficult to like really see it objectively in that sense.
1: Sure. And that's something we've talked about here before too. Kind of going back to the source can be difficult. Um, you know, especially... you know,
0: Like we've talked about like video games doing this. Like once the next Grand Theft Auto comes out, there's no reason to play the previous one.
1: You know, it's a little different... Because the, you know, what the Halloween series starts to iterate on gets further and further away from what makes it interesting in the first place. Whereas like a lot of times video games are just kind of like refining a mechanic that works really well and adding other things and then jettisoning them in the next one when those don't work. But that core thing is always kind of there you know, when you get to slasher movies, the core thing ends up being the psycho with the knife and then the sort of window dressing around it changes. But like Matt was saying, you know, that's not what, Michael's not necessarily the, the only thing that made Halloween work. And then the further they got from it, the more absurd and the lamer it got.
0: I don't think there's another slasher movie that has that kind of scene where he's stalking them in the middle of the day as they're kind of walking. Anything that's that patient and thoughtful, and it's really about getting to know them, but also through the camera movements because there are no close ups. it's all shot on the panaglide, uh, which this I believe was like the second movie to ever use that. Steadycam was relatively new. Steadycam was being uh, first used, I think for the stair shots in um Rocky. And so that was a new technology, but for them, it was just like, oh, we can use this and we're gonna keep it on this because we can't afford to do much else. But that's great because there's no coverage here and that's by design. It's not like, oh, we're gonna get a close-up of this character and the reaction of this. It's just following them. But what he does is he uses the ultra, ultra widescreen by placing things on you know, the extreme sides. But you'll notice that the camera never follows our three main characters. Anytime we see them from behind, the camera stops. Uh, and it's kind of like gives you a sense of like, oh, that is Michael in those moments. It's only ever moving with them as the camera's in front of them. And then it's training you the whole time to kind of always watch the frame. Like there are so many great moments. There's one where Donald Plaisance as Loomis is in the foreground and he's having a conversation. It's a two shot with the two of them looking at each other. And then Michael just drives by in the background and there's no attention drawn to it whatsoever. And that's the whole movie or the scene where Laurie is just kind of like up against the corner and you see ever so slightly Michael's face. And it's just because they turn a light on and just ever a little bit, just to give you a hint of that face. And it's so great. The compositions are so perfect in this movie. And I think that's why John Carpenter is one of my favorite directors, because like, I love how he uses the camera and how he frames things. Uh, and that carries throughout his whole career. Even The Thing has just, just incredible um, formal control and restraint. Um, and it, it's all kind of here in his second movie, which is pretty... Bon- well, technically his third and technically his fourth, if you count the one he made for TV. But um, his third real movie. Uh, and I, I just love all these compositions in the lighting by Dean Cundy, uh, who we talked about before, who was the director of photography for Jurassic Park um pretty famous director of photography in his own right uh started out with john carpenter uh and there's so much like clarity with like how what is lit and what isn't lit uh and and again with the camera movements
1: um we haven't talked a lot about jamie lee curtis yet i think we've only mentioned her real name and her character's name once um which you know i think she is um You know, beyond all of the sort of formalist behind the camera stuff you're talking about with John Carpenter, I think if if she didn't if he didn't have her, I don't know that this movie works as well as it does because she's you know, the other the two friends Lori has are are great, but they feel very much like kind of cheesy 70s B movie performances. And I think Jamie Lee Curtis grounds the the movie in, in a, a something a little more substantial than that. So having her, you know, I can't imagine this all working if, um, you know, one of the friends was the lead and she was
0: just a supporting
1: actress. If anything, you'd be like, Oh man, that one friend was great. <laughs> we probably would have wanted more of her. I
0: I mean, how dare you say that about my beloved PJ souls? Uh, but that could be my affection for her from rock and roll high school and Carrie. But, uh, uh, it's funny, on the commentary track, she's like Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, um, well, I listened to the commentary track with John Carpenter and, and Jamie Lee Curtis. And Jamie Lee Curtis said that during filming, she used to go up to PJ Souls and be like, oh, like, I, I you know, my character is boring. You have all the fun stuff to do, you know, with the sex scene and and, and just being kind of like a, a bit over the top. Um, but yeah, you're right, Tony. I think she's just like out of the gate. Like, this is her first major role. I think she had done some stuff for TV. Um, and she's just really kind of grounds this, but I think what's so great about her is she just feels like, so like, like a normal teenager, you know, uh, and even how she's dressed, it's really plain and it may seem, you know, kind of hip now in some ways that's because a lot of that's kind of come back like the The highway, but (laughs) yeah. Um, but back then, like she's like, those are all kind of like JC Penny apparel kind of like. Uh, just pretty plain. Uh, And I think what's great too is like most of the movie is her observing things while her friends are kind of like kind of active. And obviously that trope appeared after this movie. It became a trope because of this movie of her being the virgin and, you know, the the sexually promiscuous characters are the ones that ended up dying. I think like the movies after that sort of make a big deal about that. I think that's intentional in this movie. Unintentional. That uh, her paying attention, everything that's really illustrated well in the scene where she's in school and her teacher's talking, and she's like looking out the window, and uh, I'm pretty sure she sees Michael Myers go by, right? Yeah, and she's like totally distracted watching him, and then her teacher's like, "Hey, Lori, what's the answer?" and she answers the question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's not like an easy answer either. It's like something pretty thoughtful. Yeah. And, you know, they don't ever, you know, there's the one scene where she's like, oh, I, I kind of like this one boy and her friend's like, you just going to call him. That's all you have to do. And like, they don't, you know, it's not like the, the trope of like, oh, it's a gorgeous actress, but she's got glasses or like, they're not really telegraphing that she's the nerdy one. She's just like in this group of friends and there's no, you know, one of them is a cheerleader, but, you know, they don't really lean on any of those Extreme sort of high school hierarchy tropes. Uh, they just their friendship feels very natural, and they're all in kind of different places, but they're all like they're all on fairly even ground with one another. Um, which you know, once you get into sort of the like you were saying, the sort of um, more aware and referential movies that come after that. You know, the the slutty one's gonna get killed, the burnout's gonna get killed. Um, they are all appropriately doing like a reasonable amount of sex and drugs is one another.
0: I think, I think a large part of their, the, the three core uh, female characters, uh, the, why that works is because Deborah Hill is the producer and co-writer of the script. And I believe what would happen was, is, you know, John had an idea of like what he kind of wanted to do. And then he'd hand it off. They'd kind of sit together, figure out all the stuff. And then he'd hand it to her. And then she'd kind of write everything up. And then he'd make a pass. And then he'd be like, she would work specifically on the girls and their relationship. And I think that's why it's probably distinctive because 80s movies uh, or 80s slasher movies or horror in general kind of went the exact opposite way Um, where they're really just there to be leered at. Um, At least the female characters are. And I, I didn't find any of the kind of sex or nudity in this to be kind of prurient. It was just kind of, you know, It felt a little more natural. Uh, Their sex scene isn't just like, hey, let's look at her and and kind of like stare at her. It just felt kind of like, oh, this is like a natural sex scene with teenagers. Yeah, it wasn't exploitative in that sense at all. And I think that's why all the like, yeah, why I did like those characters is because they they throughout the movie, they don't do that. They don't treat them that way.
1: Yeah, you don't you you don't ever feel like you're just waiting for them to die.
0: Right. Yeah, Exactly.
1: Uh, one weird thing I noticed a lot of doors locking from the outside in this movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so like when Lori, Laurie leaves the house. Um, so there was that scene where like she, she, go, she calls up her friend and then her friend gets strangled, which is a, an amazing shot where she has the phone cord wrapped around her and then pulls the, the, um, Michael Myers is dressed up as her boyfriend as a ghost and he, she pulls off the the sheet as she's kind of going down but when um Jamie Lee Curtis goes across the street to kind of investigate that scene is amazing because it like really shows her going across the street and it takes forever to get there and then to get in the house and then to discover the bodies but when she does leave the house the door handle is on the right and then when she closes it on the outside it's on the left <laughs> so like it's like reverse like they But, you know, like it's one of those things. It's just like, okay, this is where they're filming in two different locations and they're moving quickly. And um, it's just kind of a funny observation that I've never noticed before until Jamie Lee Curtis got really hung up on it in the commentary track.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And one of those things are like, uh, you know, uh, you know, movie plot holes YouTube video. We'll spend 20 minutes talking about (laughs) (laughs)
0: like the everything wrong with.
1: Oh, yeah, Exactly.
0: Have you ever seen the "Everything Wrong with Everything Wrong with" video? Yeah, <laughs> I haven't watched the whole thing, but it's pretty great because he just does to that guy's videos what he does to movies.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is, but it's it's pretty thoughtful too. Like where you're just like <laughs> you're amazing. just not you're deliberately not watching a movie correctly. You're watching for things that don't matter because you just want to be snarky and get some clicks.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's true. He this is an actual critique. <laughs> I I heard this recently. Uh, but Thelma Shoemaker, who's uh, uh, is it Schumacher? Shoemaker. Do you know how to pronounce but it? But
1: the, who, she, she's edited most of Scorsese's movies, correct?
0: Yeah. She said, uh, she didn't say this recently, but this is a story, an older story. It could be slightly apocryphal, but she said continuity is for pussy.
1: <laughs> That's great. Well, I mean, when I was, when I was taking uh, film classes at RISD, I um, the one of the first things we were showed in the editing class was that scene from Goodfellas where Polly's talking to the guy who runs the club, and like every time it cuts back to Polly, like the cigar is in his mouth, it's in his hand, it's burned longer. Now it's you know it it's just been lit, and like that's not what's important. If you're getting hung up on the cigar, like you're you're not actually paying attention to the movie.
0: That's that's what yeah, she said. It, yeah, her point is that it doesn't matter at all. Like. You're, it's already a suspension of disbelief when you're watching these, and also if you're focused on telling a good story, not making sure everything is like scientifically accurate. <laughs> it's it's been something that's really popular the past decade or so because of like the cinema sins and all that crap that's online of really focusing on like, the least important aspects of of movies and 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 making those claims that like these movies don't work because of really stupid dumb shit yeah i think the people who are of that mindset they must not have jobs because like if you're gonna get anything (laughs) done you just need to like move forward (laughs) yeah this was filmed in 21 days like that's crazy that's so so fast yeah um and again like i think it's like uh a lot of their choices were done because of necessity because they had no money and they were moving really, really quickly. And um, I think it's all for the for the better for it. There's even like this great scene where um, uh, Lori, uh, Annie goes over to uh, Lori's house where she's babysitting. And it's just a one and it's just them having a conversation, but the way it kind of chooses to... like, So Laurie um, is in the background and Annie's in the foreground, but you can see both of them and it racks focus to Lori as she moves up and then they're both in the same focal plane. And then Annie moves into the other room and then if the camera follows Lori and then they're both in a two shot again. And then Annie leaves the house and then Lori goes back into the kitchen and then it focuses on the little kids watching the TV. So you're getting all this story all in this like one take and with limited camera movement. Uh, and it creates all this sort of tension because of how wide everything is. And then it shows your focus on the kids. So, um, it, it's it's nowadays it'd be like oh no we need to get a close-up of the kids and we need to get a close-up of annie we need to get a close-up of of lori um so uh, or if you're making friday the 13th you're like none of that shit matters <laughs> that's what i was thinking of actually <laughs> yeah
1: why would you waste your time with all that skill when you can just you know uh have her take her shirt off and then have this one stab her <laughs>
0: That stuff is so much more obvious. Like watching them back to back too, because I watched them like days apart, both for the first time. Wow! And as soon as Halloween starts, it's like, oh my god, this is like clearly done by someone who actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> well, it's telling that he... Ooh, it's a real movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's telling that he has a shot of the kids watching the thing, uh, the original yes. version of the thing, because you know that was. I, I mean. It's kind of complicated, but that one is ostensibly directed by Howard Hawks. It's a credit; it's credit to someone else, but everyone says Howard Hawks is secretly directed it. And obviously, Carminer went on to to direct his remake of the thing. But, um, like he was obsessed with Howard Hawks, who's also very similar. Like, oh, you you move the camera with purpose, you frame with purpose, and uh, but it wasn't flashy or showy. Uh, and Hawks was always his guy, and even his first movie uh, saw on. Precinct 13 was his sort of like way of doing a Western like Rio Bravo. Um, He always wanted to be a Western director, but you know, he ended up doing horror movies because they were cheap and he, you know, people wanted him to continue making horror movies. Uh, It was originally supposed to be called the babysitter murders. That's terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. (laughs) I can't imagine why they changed it. (laughs) yeah was the reason just because it was bad or was there yeah, enough, i think it was like, a working i think it was a working title and i think the idea originally was just like let's make a horror movie based around babysitters i, I think that was like yeah. the genesis of it you know i know we've talked a lot about how like realistic these characters come off as some acting aside and yeah yeah they're all like babysitting different people and like calling each other and like bouncing around from like house to house it's like all right you take the kids over here <laughs> And it's also, like, hard to know, like, I, I it's hard to know where anyone is at one time. And I think that's, like, kind of on purpose. Because then when Lori, like, needs to find people, <laughs> she's running around the neighborhood.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're not picking up the phone where you're supposed to be. Now what do I do? Yeah, you get that sense that this is, you know, uh, crazed madman aside, this is this is a situation the three of them have navigated countless times. I'm going to be at this house. You're going to be at that house. We know. Yeah. We know how all the parts are supposed to move. And then they played it pretty real when the whole system kind of collapses and there's this this thing they weren't expecting. Um, yeah. I You know, talking about it makes me feel bad for <laughs> not enjoying it. As much as I have in the past.
0: <laughs> you know, the thing is, though, is like in a weird way, like the way I've been talking it is sort of like not like a visceral horror thing. I've been talking about it a little more uh, ac- academically, maybe. Uh, From a technical standpoint. I, I do think sometimes that when you revisit certain movies, like they're, if this is going to happen and you may watch it next time, like, fuck, I love this, you know? Um, and I do think that this movie has enough legs obviously it has I mean we're we're what next year is going to be what the ninth Halloween movie no it's more than that if you include the the remakes um like so it has staying power so like I think it's going to kind of be one of those things that kind of ebbs and flows your reaction to it you know sometimes you revisit something and like it oh you know maybe this isn't as great as I thought it was and sometimes you're going to watch it and think it's the greatest thing ever
1: yeah. Well, like I said, like Loomis stuck out to me in a way that he hadn't before. Um, in a good or a bad this way. Is certainly Oh no, in a good way. I um I just hadn't really like considered his character the way I did this time. And
0: um, He gets progressively crazier as the movies go on too. Like fanatical, insane. Like he's the guy that shows up and goes, Michael Myers! Ah! And everyone's freaking out and everyone's like, What are you what's going on with this guy? Uh
1: I don't know yeah, how many is he in?
0: I think he's in the fifth one. I'll triple check. Okay.
1: Yeah, I can't really quite put my finger on what it was besides it being one of those, you know, what I think of as mood movies where, you know, Taxi Driver and Alien or two that, like, if I'm not in the right mood for it, even if I put them on by choice, I'm like, oh, man, I, like, I just don't want to be watching this right now. <laughs> really? But then other times I put them on and I'm like, this is, you know, I'm having my mind blown all over again. And I kind of like that Halloween falls into that because I think, you know, as much as I have movies that I love going back to, there are certainly some that I love that um, while they're entertaining every time and I get to appreciate them for the same reasons every time, I think I think having more of an ebb and flow or being able to discover something new is, is always going to be more rewarding. So I am excited to watch this again maybe next October, maybe three Octobers from now. And, and, you know, maybe have a, a much different takeaway from it than I did this time, which is different from the last time. And probably different from the other five or six times I've seen it. You should
0: watch it with the commentary track, um uh, to just kind of laugh at how many times Jamie Lee Curtis goes, this is really scary. This is effing scary, John. And John just <laughs> kind of laughing at her being like, eh, eh, eh not really. Maybe it's pretty charming.
1: Yeah, she's great. And all this all like the press she did leading up to the new one, it was just yeah, her her appreciation for the character and her sort of fondness for the fans is, is pretty great.
0: After this she really had trouble getting work. Uh, I guess she did like a an episode of Love Boat with her mom. Uh and and her mom is obviously um <laughs> Janet Lee, who's from Psycho. Um, her dad's Tony Curtis, two super, super famous uh Movie stars. Uh, But she had trouble getting work. She did an episode with her mom. Uh, And then uh, John Carmagers was like, Oh, I want to work with her again. And and he wrote her into the fog. Uh, She had done like prom night and a terror train, I think is the other one. So she kind of got roped into a little bit of horror and she wanted to get out of that. After the fog, um, I think it was shortly after that, she did trading places. And that's when like her career started to take a change. And because, you know, she was. Shown that she could, she could do comedy, and um, yeah, so she's she's had a pretty pretty great career, and even recently she was in uh, she's in Knives Out, and she's pretty terrific in that. But she's amazing in the in the new Halloween. I think she's like it's an incredible performance in the 2018 Halloween. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask uh, how the subsequent Halloween movies are. Like, are there any standout sequels or spinoffs or remakes? So. Uh I like the second one although I again it's just like kind of it's not a great movie but I think it's a kind of fun kind of like cheap thrills. Yeah. yeah. Um and then the third one uh is is kind of a standalone which is I guess the intention like Carpenter's like if we're going to continue making these we can do one a year and it'll be a different story. It'll just be set at Halloween. And it didn't do so well. So then uh, they brought back uh, Michael Myers for the fourth one. He's not, not even in the third one?
1: No, the third one's about um, Halloween masks that are going to like turn people into zombies or something. Not zombies, but like yeah, like really- mind control kind of stuff.
0: Right? Yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun. It's goofy. He produced it. He did the soundtrack for it. Oh, nice. Is that, uh, I wish, is I, that Season I, of the Witch? I do think... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have heard of that one. I do think that like an alternate reality where we get a new Halloween movie every few years and it's just something different and, you know, I think that would be amazing. Uh, it's unfortunate that didn't happen. Uh, four and five uh, are are mostly terrible.
1: Yeah, 4 has that one great idea where there's a scene where a bunch of like the dads in the neighborhood think they've got Michael Myers and they just, they killed the wrong guy. So like, you know, I think that they like, they kind of put their toe in the water of like a bigger idea that was probably better than the movie deserved, but like they don't do much with it.
0: That's unfortunate. And one of them ends where they set up a, it sets up a sequel in an, sequel in an interesting way, but then they don't really, uh, carry it through in the next one um, as if like the evil of Michael Myers like is transferred to like this other little kid um, the, the H2020 has its defenders that was the 20th anniversary they came out with one where Jamie Lee Curtis came back uh, I th- think it's terrible uh, and then she did another one right after that which is also terrible is, and then is you that have the, the two one, Rob Zombie ones
1: she, the second one she was in in the 90s was like a reality show right was entire banks in it and it was like they're trying to like get kids to like stay in the Myers house for a night
0: yeah yeah that one's not very good that must have been around when scream came out right it was definitely after that it definitely does the scream thing that's what it kind of sounds like the Rob Zombie one I don't like the first one because it what it really does is says like well what is the psychology of Michael Myers so it really kind of gives him a backstory it spends more time with him in the institution and then the whole back half is mostly like sort of not beat for beat, but it's similar to the original. Like an actual like, oh, this is a remake. Uh his second one, the director's cut, is a personal favorite of mine, but I can't really You have to be on its wavelength. And if you've never seen a Rob Zombie movie, I think you'd just be like, I don't what is he talking about? <laughs> but it's 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 weird in ways that I like and it feels like a Rob Zombie movie in like the first one. Uh, and it has a lot of surreal touches to it where Michael kind of jettisons the mask and he he sees visions of his mother in a white dress with like a horse. And Oh, wow. It's pretty strange, <laughs> but it's also really relentless. Like it just doesn't stop. It's about trauma and the trauma that Laurie kind of experienced from the first movie, but it really kind of shows that that thing doesn't go away. Um, I kind of like it. I like it. It's a comfort movie for me. <laughs> Which is really odd to say. It's a movie that I go to when I'm kind of feeling shitty. I mean, that sounds that that actually sounds pretty interesting. That sounds more in line with something that I would watch. It's really grimy, but again, I don't know. Like, if you if you're unfamiliar with Devil's Rejects or any of his other stuff, I don't know if you like. I don't. I know Tony doesn't like Devil's Rejects.
1: No, I, I found it super off-putting, and I think. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd seen House of a Thousand Corpses and. Then watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 it's like, oh, yeah, like this is it was just a pale imitation of this.
0: Uh. I don't like I don't like House of a Thousand Corpses. I like Devil's Rejects. I like Halloween, Two. I like Lords of Salem a lot. Uh, And I think that's about it for his movies. Um, And then the recent one, which is sort of like a a sequel to the original, I think it's pretty fun, Uh, especially because it has some great direction from David Gordon Green. Uh, and Tony and I actually saw that together.
1: Yeah, and she definitely plays Laurie as kind of in like the Sarah Connor kind of mode. Where yeah, that the events of the first one, like yeah, seriously reconfigure this person's brain and outlook. And
0: yeah, it was good. Yeah, because she's al- almost like borderline crazy aunt in that, isn't she? At least in the pers- from the perspective of like the kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Crazy grandma. Yep. Yep. Crazy grandma. Uh, and then so there's two more scheduled to come out soon i did see that are they direct sequels they must be yeah same cast wow i don't know like again i was like oh i don't think these are necessary i was surprised with the last one um but same same crew Hmm. everyone's back even david gordon green is back to direct so you know you never know there's promise
1: i think we're kind of tiptoeing around it so let's um matt do you have recommendations for Brian now on where to go next.
0: Yeah, I do. Uh, okay, bear with me for this. <laughs> it's October, you wanna watch a lot of horror movies. You wanna continue your, your, your education on 70s horror films. Yes. Criterion Channel has dropped 29 horror movies, a lot of seminal horror horror, horror movies. And I know what you're saying, you're saying, I don't have a subscription to the Criterion Channel. You can get two weeks for free, watch as many horror movies as you can. You've got Daughters of Darkness, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, uh, Season of the Witch, which is early George Romero, another another George Romero crazies, Don't Look Now by Nicholas Reg, Ganja and Hess, which we just did an episode on, fantastic movie, Sisters, early Brian De Palma, um, The Wicker Man, the original one, super great, Theater of Blood, which is... Theater of Blood, which is a uh, um, Vincent Price movie. Really fun. Um, Black Christmas, which we didn't mention, which is, feels like a precursor in a lot of ways to Halloween, but also his follow-up, Bob Clark's follow-up to Black Christmas, which is Death Dream, which is fantastic. It's Alive by Larry Cohen, uh, which is uh, I've talked about on the show before, which is sort of like a metaphor for, for parents, uh, parenting. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Shivers, which is uh, David Cronenberg, his first movie, Um, Hills Have Eyes, Wes Craven, uh, the original invasion, not the original, but the 78 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Brood by Cronenberg, which is fantastic, Driller Killer by Abel Ferrara, and a bunch more. So like you cannot go wrong. Do a two week free subscription. Watch any of these movies, 70s horror films, all super great. That's awesome. I'm kind, I'm hoping Shudder really takes off. Yeah, Shudder's terrific. Um, I, I I sign up for Shudder usually at the beginning of every September, and I kind of have it till the end of November, and I watch as many horror movies as I can. Yeah, I hope they get like a, a decent library going. I mean, there's some good stuff on there now. I just want it to expand. Yeah. They actually right now they have Halloween four and five. Oh, they do. <laughs> and, and one. That's actually yeah. where I watched Halloween. Terrific. What about you, Tony?
1: Uh, you mentioned Black Christmas already, which is gonna be mine. Um, and I feel like I, 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 Brian, I think you were one of the first people I talked to after I watched it, uh, last year for the first time. Um, yeah, I think I think it'd be up your alley. I think it, um, it is a little more, you know, it's not as gonzo as something like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, but it, um, it definitely has a little more fun with itself. Um than Halloween does. And I think, um, it does tension really well. And, um, I think if you're most familiar with Bob Clark from a Christmas story, this is an interesting sort of parallel to watch, uh, to watch him slice and dice his way through the same holiday. Um, yeah. So, uh, what about you, Brian, do you have any, anything in mind, um, Either something you've seen and loved that you would recommend from here or anything you're interested in following up with after Halloween.
0: Yeah. As, as far as uh, like in direct response to Halloween, I, as for John Carpenter movies, I actually really like Christine and I think it's underrated. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, it's fantastic. It's, it's almost that same it's it's almost like the slasher movie but it's like but what if it was a car and you're like that's never gonna work but because it's john carpenter he makes it work <laughs> it's like such a it's like a high wire act to take this crazy premise and just you know it's actually like tense and moves along really well yeah and it, and it, it kind of like really nailed the whole kind of toxic masculinity yes uh a, a fan culture Pretty early on, right? Um, yeah, because he's yeah. really just this needy nerd who just ends up becoming this toxic piece of shit. Yeah, um, because he's being enabled by this admittedly evil car, but you know, <laughs> right. that he's that he's obsessed with. He doesn't need that much goading. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and that's another where the kids in it they feel more real too, instead of like the tropes, and that takes a long way. It looks incredible. Yeah, it it's oh. Gorgeous movie. Yeah, uh, my other recommendation is a new new movie, which I was surprised that I really liked was uh, the Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's on HBO now, Tony. Is it okay? Yeah, I really enjoyed that one because uh, yeah, it's just like it's just this. It's more about this horrible relationship that this woman is trapped in, and she's just being gaslit the entire time. Like, you have those ca- these characters in horror movies where they're like, oh, my God, you have to believe me. But, like, th- and, you know, there's always often that turning point where they're like, where they do believe the main character and just, it, like, without ruining too much of it, they really, like, play her- that up really well, I think. Yeah, and I think in the past, most Invisible Man movies are, they make the Invisible Man the main character, and this actually makes the victim the main character. Yeah. So that's really just by oh, flipping cool. that automatically um plays into the whole gaslighting thing. Yeah. I, it has some pretty cool pretty cool set pieces. It does. Yeah, and that one definitely won me over cuz at first it's not that I disliked it, I did like it, but you know, early on a movie it's like where is this going? What's going to happen? But then I found like halfway through I was like riveted. <laughs> I just wanted because nice. that yeah, yeah, like you said, there's good set pieces because it's like that thing where you, they they keep backing a character into a corner and you're like, what, is, what now? What is she gonna do? And they like keep pushing it and pushing it. <laughs> and he uses that camera setup that he used in Upgrade, where they um, lock the camera's movements to the uh, a phone that someone's wearing on their the actor is wearing so when the actor moves the camera moves with the person oh yeah yeah i was wondering how they did that actually yeah it's so cool that's cool
1: yeah upgrade surprisingly fun i was not expecting to enjoy that as much as i did
0: invisible man is a little more uh dour it doesn't have like the humor of upgrade um and it also has the clunky exposition of upgrade as well, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but they're fun. They're both they're both really solid kind of genre movies. Cool,
1: awesome, yeah. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Halloween.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for af- having me. Yes, anytime. Hopefully, uh, you guys can do this IRL soon.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's hopefully It'll a lot nice. of things we can do IRL soon, but I'm not holding my breath.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. I Yeah probably smart
1: but we'll definitely have you down again once we're back up and running if not before then thanks guys awesome all right see you later later bye thanks for listening to another episode of what did we miss you can follow us on twitter and instagram and facebook at what did we miss And you can send us an email at whatdidwemisspod at gmail.com. And thanks as always to the What Cheer Writers Club in downtown Providence, Rhode Island. You can learn more about them at whatcheerclub.org, and you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at whatcheerclub.